Well, <laughs> we are excited to welcome you back. My guest tonight does not need any introduction, uh, except for, I guess, all those who are listening and maybe don't know him. It is Brother Chris Wright, Reverend Chris Wright of Christian Apostolic Center. I'm your show host, Alex Spooner, and you are listening to the Christian Apostolic Center podcast. Uh, once again, we appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning in. And before I dive into my normal spiel, please download this, give it a five-star rating, uh, go check it out, search it, share it, and all those watching on Facebook, please make sure you not only like it, leave comments, but also share this on your posts. The more you share, the more people obviously tune in and see this information. It becomes accessible, and that's what we want, the gospel and ministry of Jesus Christ getting to more and more people. Brother Chris, thank you so much for joining us here on the CSC Podcast as you kind of continue to push forth our new um, our new segment here, and that's the ministerial series. Well, thanks for having me, Brother Alex. I appreciate your invite, and I'm excited about doing this. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody, obviously, again, in our local assembly here at CSC, I know they're pumped. There's a reason why we announce the people that are going to be speaking ahead of time because we want people to get excited. And obviously, in your case, Brother Chris, um, you you teach adult Sunday school very often, and you always have an incredible uh, word from the Lord. We're expecting that tonight. And as I say with all of our guests, I'm, I'm predicting... About 15 people, uh, 15 new guests to show up, uh, 15 soul revival this next Sunday due to your ministry here. We're believing the Lord for it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And uh, But Mr. Producer, before we kind of dive into it, is there anything anything else? We sound good? Everything look good? All right. Well, as always, everybody, stay tuned and listen in. Well, welcome everybody. Thanks for joining us. We're just going to dive right into our uh, service tonight. You know how we say as apostolic, there's only one God and, and we get all excited about it. Have you ever asked yourself, have you ever wondered whether God feels the same way about that? When he said, is there a God beside me? I know not any. How do you think he felt about that? Or better put, how would you and I feel about it? Is it kind of strange to think about God as being lonely? Well, he is love. And love does not like being alone. So he created innumerable heavenly beings and angels, and eventually he created us. And when he created us, everything during our creation, when we read in the early parts of Genesis, says, and it was good, except for one thing. The one thing after he created Adam that wasn't good, he said it's not good that man should be alone. So... There's something universal about loneliness that even the almighty God of eternity dislikes. As to his creation, us, mankind, there's no mystery about it. He wants fellowship with us. He wants to share love with us. And he thinks about us continually. He says, you're mine. You're bought with a price. None can deliver you out of my hand. And nothing will separate you from my love. But we ask what about my faults? How can you love me when I'm imperfect, when I have faults? How can you possibly love me? Well, in Isaiah, God says, I'm wearied with your iniquity. So we pause, we wait for wrath, we wait for judgment. But he goes on to say, I'm wearied with your iniquity, but I've blotted out your transgressions. Why? For my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. So we tend to carry a guilt around with us, our own guilt, but he chooses to forget. Why? Because we're precious in his sight. He treasures us. His focus is on us. So what I'd like to do tonight, if we can, talk a little bit about our focus, our vision. Are we eternally minded? And more often than just when we gather together, are we 
eternally minded all through the week? Are we seeking his face above all else? And if not, how can we be better at that? So, especially in light of recent events in our country, the election and everything, there's a lot of turmoil. Um, things can get pretty stressful. And it has many of us being more awakened to thoughts of the eternal, thoughts of, you know, what's going to happen. And uh, because life just doesn't seem to be the same as it normally was. Many people, I've noticed, have taken a new interest in the book of Revelation, including me. Um, Revelation is more than just a book with difficult symbolism and timelines that are challenged to figure out. Uh, there's a bunch of good things in there, and it's the voice of a God that's yearning to help us get ready to meet him. It's written to compel us to focus forward. And I, I think there's a big sacrifice we make when this book goes unread because it can help us with our eternal vision, our eternal focus. Uh, when we mention Revelation, though, usually people, you know, our humanity usually says, well, what about, are you pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, you know? I, I got convicted about that recently. I thought, man, that's kind of selfish of me to think in those terms, because that's what about me? You know, what, what am I going to go through or not go through? I thought, wouldn't it be better if I asked God, my creator, what do you want of me? So in the first three chapters of Revelation, I'm just going to read one little excerpt from it. There's writings given to the seven different churches, and it gives us a glimpse into God's mind, God's heart. I'll read just uh, one of those, uh, Revelation chapter 2. Under the, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how you can't bear those which are evil, and how you have tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And has borne, and has patience for thy name's sake, has labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because you've left thy first love. Remember, therefore, whence you are fallen, from whence you are fallen, and repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except you repent. But this you have, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So, I won't read all seven of those writings to the seven different churches, but if we were to do that and, and compare them side by side, we'd start to notice that there's a pattern. Uh, just like in the first one, it, the pattern would include these elements. God says to the churches, I see you. I understand where you're at. And here's what you're doing that's good. Here's what's not good. I've got some advice and some instructions for you, even some warnings and some promises. We'd see that pattern in there. Uh, that pattern tells me that he is focused on us. He's more than mildly interested in us. He's very concerned. So these writings could be addressed to each of us personally. And when I know he's watching me, it makes me want to look to him even more than I normally do. It helps me look beyond this world and realize everything I think is important um, because ultimately everything I gather, I acquire, I build is just fuel for a big fire that's coming. Uh, the, the big global warming of Second Peter chapter 3 when everything melts with a fervent heat. So I want to focus on things that are beyond that. And I know that if I'm disciplined and seeking him during the good times, uh, I'll be more than ready when the bad times come. So we're talking about eternal focus. How can we do that? How can we get better at that? 
Um, to start, I want to look at a couple different thrones um, and the results from each of these thrones. We're going to start at the end and we'll work backwards. The end is something called the white throne, the final judgment. Uh, this happens at the very end of man's earthly existence, even after the millennium. Sinners are judged alongside with Satan and the fallen angels, uh, and they're sent to their final place as, as they are judged. So there's no opportunity for a change in destiny after this happens. God's plan for time and eternity with mankind will have been accomplished, and all the things he planned for humanity on, the, on this earth would now be complete. Eternity would now begin. So mankind has this choice. We can either voluntarily and willfully approach his throne now because we're invited. We can go to the king now with this invited uh, opportunity we have, and we'll receive grace and mercy. Or we can wait till then, and we will be summoned before that throne. So thankfully, the Bible doesn't end there for his children. In the final two chapters of the Bible, a beautiful picture um, of our wonderful eternity with God is painted, where he is the light and we get to see his face. And how do we become his children? I know listeners of the podcast know, you know really well. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 puts it in a, in a nutshell that we repent. We're baptized in Jesus' name for the forgiveness of sins, and we shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So the second example of a throne that I have isn't really a throne. It's not referred to as such. It's actually the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, reading from 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 8. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So I'm going to look at that a little bit closer, look at it again. The apostle said, hey, we're confident, and not only that, we're even willing rather to be absent from our body. We're, we're willing to die if we have to and be present with the Lord. Because of that, wherefore, we labor, whether present or absent, that we're accepted of him. All the labor, anything we do, our mindset is based on this one principle, this one focus, that whatever I do, I need it to be accepted of him. Why? For we must all appear before this judgment seat. The judgment seat um, that we're going to appear before, the word appear used here is also used elsewhere in the Bible as made manifest or brought to light to reveal the hidden. So we're going to all appear before this judgment seat. And in another place, as a behavioral warning, uh, the judgment seat is mentioned again in Romans 14.10. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you set it not, thy brother? To set it not is to make of no account, to reduce them to nothing. You know, why do you judge your brother? Why do you set it not your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. So Paul's reminding us that one day we're going to be with him in our resurrected bodies, but he also shares this sobering reality that one day all of us must stand before him and give account for all of our thoughts, words, our deeds, everything, after receiving salvation. So to clarify and put us at ease, this is not a judgment to determine salvation. Uh, Paul wrote this to the Corinthian church in uh, 1 Corinthians 3 and 9. He said, 
for we are laborers together with God. You're God's husbandry. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds thereon. But let every man take heed how he builds thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the foundation is Jesus, and there is no other. But we do play a part in what happens to the building afterwards. If any man builds on this foundation, verse 12, now if any man builds on this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble, here it comes again, every man's work shall be made manifest. It's going to appear. It's going to be brought to the light. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. So this is kind of interesting stuff, right? We're going to stand before him, and he's going to judge our works. Um, A little interesting side thought. In Revelation, Jesus is described like this. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire. And right after that, he says, I know your deeds. I just wonder if the fire that's going to judge our works is, is him watching. Just that's a little free thought for me. So again, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work, what sort it is. And verse 14, if any man's work abide or survives, which he had built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. So here at this point, we're already saved. We're already here in front of the judgment seat, which is a good thing. It means we're already saved. But it also says we're going to receive a reward if our works survive this judgment. And here's another good part. If any man's works shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. Yet so is by fire. Uh, NIV says that, yet so is by fire. The NIV version says, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So we're still saved. This isn't, again, a a judgment of salvation, but it's a judgment of our works. And the apostles said this is the one thing they focus on, um, all their works, that they would be accepted of him. They weren't looking for the praises of people, and they weren't worried about persecution of people. They were focused on one thing, and that was appealing to God and pleasing God. So isn't it fantastic that before this happens, we get this advance notice that it's coming? And the opportunity to correct our course, to make some changes. It's like a test where we have access to the instructor prior. We get to ask the one in the judgment seat beforehand, what do I need to change? Uh, Reveal my heart. Is there any wicked way within me? We get to spend all the time we want with this instructor. We, We get all the help, all the tutoring, all the time we need to get it right now before we stand there. So we never discount the grace he's given us to will and to perform that which is good. But let's also heed the advice given us here to make several trips to the throne so that we're ready for that day. So if we try, we make effort, if we're diligent, he'll help us to be conformed to his image. Uh, Verse 14 talks of a reward on that day. So I'm not sure how the reward system goes but I'm guessing that none of us are going to be saying, I wish I spent more time trying to earn more money or entertain myself. I think on that day, I know I'm going to be saying, boy, I wish I had done better. I wish I had done more for God. So are we encouraging one another? Are we reaching for the lost? Are we spending time with God and his word? All these things become so much more satisfying when we rekindle our relationship with him in love. 
We'll no longer fear judgment, but in tears of excitement, we'll look forward to longingly to be with him. Uh, in fact, I've been amazed at his patience with me, especially over all the lost time through the years, uh, doing nothing important, nothing eternal, nothing kingdom-minded. I used to spend money, uh, time like it was money that I could print. But you can call it revival. You can call it whatever you want. Um, my testimony lately is that this this newfound uh, discovery of just going, it's not a revelation, it's the first and greatest commandment, but when I got back to that and just said, I need to rekindle my love for God and tune everything else out and just fall back in love with him and get close to him again, it has changed everything. So, <clears throat> now it's rare that we hear a lot of discussion about rewards, and probably rightfully so. Um, it's probably universal that we're all so grateful for this salvation that it's hard to contemplate being rewarded additionally in another way. And yet these verses are here. Uh, these, these rewards are promised. In Matthew 5 and 11, it said, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. First uh, Corinthians 3 and 8 says, Now he that plants and he that waters are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Uh, Revelations 22 and 12. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. So there's several mentions of these. Um, and some of you are going to shine. Uh, Daniel 12, 2, 2 and verse, I'm sorry, Daniel 12, verses 2 and 3. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. So it says again, if you're wise, you're going to shine as the brightness of the firmament. And if you turn many to righteousness, you'll shine as the stars forever and ever. So there's something about light, something about shining. And again, in Matthew 13, 43, we read, Then shall the righteous shine forth, how? As the sun, in the kingdom of their father. Who has ears to hear, let him hear. So someone will have to explain this one to me. In 1 Corinthians 15, 40 and 41, there are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There's one glory of, glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. So here's where it gets interesting for us. And as, as we have borne the image of the earthly, that's what we are now, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly these images of, of brightness. And notice the stars are not all the same. The stars differ from one star to another in glory. But the image of these heavenlies all involve light. They all involve brightness. Even the angels that appeared at the tomb of Jesus, they said about him, Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. So there's no doubt some mystery here regarding this light and what's going to happen. But no matter how it all works out, my point is this. God has plans for you and I that stretch way beyond this earth, way beyond this world. He's got plans for us, and we want to start focusing forward and, and keep, our, keep our attention on those things. The things that we purpose in our mind to do and even to quit doing have such great importance eternally. So 
I always pray, God, help me be more eternally minded, more kingdom minded, for there's coming a day when I wish I cared less for here and more for there. Uh, Paul said, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Our light affliction that's here for a moment works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, Rejoice ye in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. So what are these rewards he's talking about? Uh, It mentions crowns and as far as crowns go, it mentions different types or possibly different attributes of one crown. I don't know. We're going to have to call Brother Miller on that one. But they may or not represent the entirety of the reward also. So here are some of the crowns or descriptions of the one crown. There is an incorruptible crown in 1 Corinthians 9 and 25. It says, And every man that strives for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible so there's a crown for gaining mastery over our old man. Uh, 2 Timothy 4 and 8 says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that also love his appearing. So there's a crown of righteousness for them that love his appearing. In James 1 and 12, uh, Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to them that love him. So this is for enduring trials, enduring temptations. Uh, 1 Peter 5 and 4, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fades not away. So this one is for feeding the flock of God. So we have an incorruptible, a righteous crown, a crown of life, and a crown of glory. Now what happens to all these? I think think most of you know. Uh, Revelations 4 and 4 Round about the throne, there were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And four and twenty elders fell down before him that sat on the throne and worshipped him that lived forever and ever, and they cast their crowns before the throne. So, what's my point? Well, the elders threw their crowns at their feet, and if they did it, considering their service and sacrifice, I can imagine we'd all do our same, do the same. But as to casting crowns at his feet, I had this one thought. When in an overwhelming flood of joy and love, everyone casts their crowns, I certainly don't want to reach up and realize I've got nothing. So I want to be ready. I want to have something to offer him. Uh, The rewards mentioned might simply just refer to our eternity in heaven. Uh, If that's the case, we still want to strive to make it, strive to please him. But remember, we're talking about being eternally minded, looking forward and looking beyond this world. So let's uh, leave off with this. Um, the apostles gave us our, their secrets to enduring things. And I was doing a little study, um, and, I, and I took a break, and I just said, I'm going to check the news. And I ran across this article from a... Um, entity called Open Doors Worldwide, and I was just shocked to read what I read. It it talked about the killings and the imprisonments and abductions of Christians worldwide in different countries. This this uh, entity, Open Doors Worldwide, does studies on it annually, and they they do counts of these different categories, and they found out it's it's climbed 
over 60% uh, persecution of Christians has climbed over 60% just in the last year. So one in eight people on this earth suffered some form of persecution. Um, Over 5,000 people last year were killed because they were Christians. In North Korea, they'll kill you right on the spot. Um, Nigeria has the most murders for being a Christian. Afghanistan was a close second. Um, in Egypt, they force Christian women um, to be, they'll, they'll abduct them and then force them to marry their abductors. In China, I was surprised they have, I don't even know how they do this, 415 million cameras to monitor the citizens for their own safety. And they are climbing. They made a huge jump in this this uh, poll, this annual survey, in, in persecution of Christians. Um, so it just it just goes on and on. These statistics were really shocking. But the apostles, who had been through some rough times, left us some good advice. In Second Corinthians four and fourteen, they said, "Knowing this," or they said, "I'm sorry," knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us up also by Jesus and shall present us with you. So that word knowing is so powerful. In this last day, we have to have this position of safety settled permanently in our minds that we know he's going to raise us up no matter what happens. So we keep that clear and eternal focus and we'll be all set. It says in verse 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So that's the kind of focus they had. They, they didn't, didn't look around at this. They looked beyond. They said, stop looking at what you can see. And they said, look to the eternal. How do we do that? I think for me, I meditate more during prayer. I slow down. I ponder. I spend more time thinking than I, than I used to in the past. More time just in his presence. And, and I look... To the Bible for any uh, anything that will give me that eternal perspective. I even had a, a a little revelation recently where I was praying. I said, "God, there's not much in the Bible that tells me a whole lot about what I'm going to see." I know we have streets of gold, and I, you know, I, I know we have some vis- a few visions and things. But um, he said, "I has not seen, neither ear heard," and that, and that wasn't. Uh, a warning from him to say, don't worry about it. I think it was, no matter what you could imagine, it's way better than that. But the thing I felt him tell me in prayer was, it's not about seeking what's up here. It'll be good. I'll take care of you. But what you need to be seeking is my face. And if you seek my face, everything else will work out just fine. So if there's any message in the Bible that's, that's there for us, it's that he is coming. And soon we're all going to stand before him. We're all going to face him. Now, whether that's threatening to you, or if it's a wonderful promise to you, you get to decide. Because right now, while you're still breathing, you can make that choice. So aren't you glad for a God that wants to hide our faults? He wants to hide them. He wants to forget them. And a God who has great things waiting for those who serve and obey. So I want to seek his face like never before. And I thank you for your attention. And God bless you. And have a good evening.